Welcome back to the Dirt Show. Two big news items uh, today. Obviously, the uh, strange grand jury in, in, in Georgia, the grand jury that doesn't have a right to indict, only has the right to recommend after hearing only one side of the evidence. Um, today, the foreperson of the jury said, don't be surprised, uh, suggesting strongly that they may indict or, or recommend the indictment. Of, of Trump, along with m many others, apparently a considerable number of people uh, are in their are in their crosshairs, and and um, we'll talk about that a little bit uh, later in the show. But uh, you know the 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 get Trump uh, posse is is very much alive and well in in Georgia, and it wouldn't be at all surprising if there were a recommendation for uh, an indictment. Uh, my new book is literally I got the first copy today. It's called Get Trump, The Threat to Civil Liberties Due Process and Our Constitutional Rule of Law from Attempts to Unconstitutionally Prevent Trump from, from Running Again. As you know, I want Trump, if he's going to run, to run so I can vote against him for the third time. Um, and we'll talk about that and we'll talk about Get Trump if we get to it today. If not, we'll talk about that tomorrow. But the main item I wanted to talk about today is uh, President Biden's speech in Poland, his speech in Kiev, Kiev, and um, and the whole issue of uh, Putin sword rattling and now, uh, you know, talking about maybe pulling out of a, a nuclear arms uh, treaty. And he's previously talked about the possibility of using tactical nuclear weapons on Ukraine. I don't think he's going to do that. It would be foolish. First of all, tactical nuclear weapons don't recognize uh, national borders necessarily. Radioactivity is uh, strong. And uh, any attack on Poland, of course, is an attack on the United States under the NATO treaty. So I, I find it very hard to believe that he would uh, actually uh, do that. But the question I want to ask, and it grows out of a, a, a dinner party I went to last night with some uh, friends, um, and the conversation really was an interesting one. It was, would Putin be doing what he is doing? Uh, it's now the first anniversary of, of the Ukraine uh, war, war crimes. Would he be doing that? Would he be sword rattling, saber rattling? Would he be pulling out of nuclear uh, uh, armament uh, treaties? Would he be threatening uh, uh, to use tactical nuclear weapons if Donald Trump were president? That was the, the question. And my wife and I were the only two people at the dinner table who uh, were Democrats. Um, there were some there some some non-Trump Republicans and some Trump Republicans at the table. But the question was. Um, would Putin have had the nerve to do what he's doing uh, if Trump were president? And the, the, the second half of that question is, um, can Biden really stand up to Putin? Um, he made a good, strong speech in, in Poland today. His words were absolutely uh, right. Um, and um, and uh, the actions have been uh, generally good, providing... Um, Ukraine with not all the weapons that it wants. Obviously, no country ever gets all the weapons it wants, um, but uh, a lot of weapons. And um, and uh, uh, and and he, there's been muscle flexing on our side. And 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 the question really is, um, I mean, if you do the comparison, uh, the question is, who would present a stronger front against um, 
against Putin, against the invasion of Iraq, against all these threats? Would it be somebody like Donald Trump or somebody like um, uh, Joe Biden? Um, and there are you know arguments on all sides. Um, an argument that some of the people at our dinner table were making was that uh, because Trump is so unpredictable and because he uh, easily gets insulted and, and easily gets pushed, uh, that Putin never would have dared to uh, to confront uh, Trump for fear of the unexpected, whereas Biden is, if anything, predictable. And uh, I've said before, I've used the word moderate. Um, and uh, he has a very moderate secretary of state who I know, I've known for a long time, I don't know him well, but I know him, uh, Tony Blinken, Anthony Blinken. I knew his father, stepfather uh, quite well, worked with him as a lawyer. Um, and so, and the question is, therefore, What's better in terms of foreign policy? Is it better to have a kind of softer negotiating team in place? And that would be the Biden-Blinken uh, uh, team. Or is it better to have an unpredictable, very tough team in place? That would be Trump or whoever his secretary of state happened to be at the time, Mike Pompeo, during uh, uh, the last years of his administration. And Mike's a very, very tough guy and very, very well informed, former head of the CIA, former member of Congress, and my former student. Uh, and I like Mike a lot. Um, uh, he would have been very strong. And, you know, when I think about this, I go back to when I was 21, uh, 23 or 24 years old. Um, I was in Washington, D.C. Uh, during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And I was told by my judge in October of 1962, um, go home to be with your family. Um, there may be a nuclear attack on the United States. This is Judge Bazelon, who I worked for, who said, who had just come from the White House, where he had been briefed uh, by the Kennedy administration. He came back to the office pale and shaken, and nobody knew what would happen. Um, the uh, Kennedys uh, did both the carrot and the stick. Um, they created an embargo. They wouldn't allow uh, Soviet ships to approach Cuba. Uh, a blockade, an embargo, is an act of war, literally an act of war, Casas Belli, uh, that under international law allows the other side to take military action to break the blockade. So Kennedy administration acted very tough, but they also negotiated. And eventually they made a deal and uh, they didn't reveal the full extent of the deal initially, but now we know what it was. And the United States agreed to remove nuclear weapons, nuclear rockets from northern Turkey, where they were virtually on the border of uh, Russia, as close to Russia as Cuba is to uh, Florida. And so um, uh, a deal was made. It was an implicit deal. And um, uh, the uh, Soviet Union did not send. Uh, nuclear weapons and withdrew their rockets from uh, Cuba, and uh, we all heaved a sigh of relief and 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 went on to live uh, good lives uh, after that. Something that wasn't an assurance in in October. Uh, there's a brilliant book written about it by by Robert Kennedy uh, called uh, Seven Days in October," I think, in which he documents those very very crucial seven days. I was there. I was not obviously involved in. In, uh, or knowledgeable about what was going on behind the scenes. But, uh, you know, there we were just a mile away from uh, the White House uh, being very concerned about what would happen. And, and the Kennedys handled it, I think, brilliantly. A combination of carrot and stick, 
uh, the carrot was they removed the rockets from Turkey. The stick was the blockade and the combination uh, worked. Um, you know, there are many heroes. Uh, Bobby Kennedy was a, was a real hero, but so was Nikita Khrushchev. Uh, Nikita Khrushchev backed down and that wasn't easy. And it really marked essentially the end of his uh, rule in the Soviet Union. He never was strong uh, after that. And um, I remember uh, having um, uh, a conversation with his son, Sergei Khrushchev, who uh, was a professor at university, Brown University. And uh, I met him at conferences and saw him a number of times. And, um, you know, this was the central event in Khrushchev's life and his career as head of the Soviet Union. And it was probably the crucial testing event uh, for, for the Kennedys as well. You know, they failed the test. They failed the Cuban invasion uh, test, um, uh, a test that was crucially important. And, you know, at least according to some people, Oliver Stone and others, um, may have contributed to the assassination of Kennedy. That obviously requires a convoluted theory of Cuban involvement um, in the assassination of Kennedy, which has never been proved. Uh, uh, as Woody Allen likes to say, he's waiting for the nonfiction version of the Warren report so he can really figure out uh, what happened. I, I remember <laughs> my son asking a former president of the United States, um, um, oh, you're president of the United States? Do you, can you find out who really killed Kennedy? And, you know, smiles and laughs all over. But the CIA doesn't tell presidents its secrets. Uh, the CIA is a world into itself. Um, and so the issue of what approach should be taken now to Russia. It's not the Soviet Union anymore, but Putin could be uh, the Soviet Union. He's not very different from the autocratic leaders of the former Soviet Union, uh, more, more autocratic than some, like uh, Gorbachev, and less autocratic than others, like, like Stalin, um, but uh, autocratic nonetheless. And uh, the war in Ukraine is utterly, utterly unjustified. Uh, his people issued a statement today um, after um, President Biden made a speech in, in, in Poland and in Kiev, um, basically blaming the war on the United States. That's amazing. Usually they blame things like that on Israel, but now it's the United States. It's, it's just as false when either of those things happen. Uh, the war is completely the fault of uh, the Russians. They thought they'd get away with it. They thought they would prevail militarily. Everybody thought they would prevail militarily. The most shocking thing, and it's scary. It's scary when you have a country with nuclear weapons and a weak army. If you have a nuclear weapons and a strong army, <clears throat> like we, the United States has, or like Israel has, you don't have to worry about them using the nuclear weapons. They don't need it. The army is strong. But it turns out that the Russian army is a paper tiger. And they, they can't beat the Ukrainians. And the Ukrainians have never been known for their great military prowess or their army or their navy. They don't have a navy, really. Um, they uh, have a, a, you know, a coastal outlet. Um, but um, <clears throat> and, and, and of course, they don't have nuclear weapons. And so uh, when you have a, a, a very large country like Russia, the largest country in the world, in terms of land mass, a relatively small country in terms of population. Um, I mean, large by relative numbers, but in terms of the size, not nearly as, as large uh, in terms of population as China, India, Pakistan, you name it. Um, and so um, 
the question remains, how do you confront somebody like, like, like Putin? Um, you know, there are those who say that uh, Trump had a better relationship with Putin. That's been used against him. Oh, he was in Putin's pocket. Oh, Putin was in his pocket. I don't think either was in anybody's pocket. Uh, they may have had a good relationship. There may have been some business dealings uh, even before uh, Trump became president about the possibility of building a hotel. Um, but uh, I don't know how, how uh, a President Trump, a second-term President Trump, would be dealing right now with um, the Ukrainian crisis um, and with the um, uh, two threats that have recently been made. We know Biden's approach. Um, Biden's approach is to speak uh, in a tough manner, um, but not uh, rattle swords. And, um, and, and we'll see. Uh, we'll see uh, if, that, if that works out. Um, Trump, if he runs again, likely he will run again if he gets the nomination may campaign on an issue like that. He may campaign saying Biden's not tough enough to stand up um, to uh, Putin. I'm tougher than Putin and I can stand up to him. That may be an issue in the next campaign. Uh, we don't know. I mean, generally, Americans don't vote on foreign policy. They generally vote on domestic policy and they vote on personalities and they vote on a range of other things. But we don't know what the next election will be. I can't predict to you who will be the nominee of uh, either party. I can tell you this. I think that if Trump does not run, doesn't get the nomination, I think Biden will not run. I think Biden's only going to run against Trump because he's been told and the polls show that he can once again uh, beat, uh, beat Trump in a one-on-one. -on -one. Will Trump get the nomination if he runs against the big field of people? Of course he will. All he has to do is get, you know, 20, 30% of the vote. Um, and if the field is what it looks like today, it will be very interesting because there'll be a Trump who's unique and there'll be, um, uh, and there'll be uh, one, uh, one woman in the, in the field. And that one woman in, in the field can obviously uh, expect and hope to get a very, very large percentage of the women's uh, vote. So it may very well be if you have a large field, Trump will come in first and she'll come in second. And, you know, the others, uh, Pence and, and Mike Pompeo and whoever else is going to run, um, will lag behind. Uh, we just don't know. We just don't know. It's too far uh, in advance. We have another 10 or 11 months before the campaign really begins and picks up. It will be probably in January of, of next year when the campaign really begins in earnest. And we'll have a better sense of who's in and who's out. Right now, of course, a lot of the candidates are biding their time. Uh, just one point in anticipation of what we'll probably talk about tomorrow, uh, namely the get Trump issue in, in Georgia. From what I've read, and maybe there is other testimony, from what I've read, the basic issue in front of the Georgia grand jury was the conversation that um, President Trump had, and it's recorded, there's no doubt about that. You can listen to his intonations, uh, in which he says, find me, whatever, whatever it was, 11,000 votes, enough to turn around the election. And uh, find me has two meanings, obviously. Find can mean discover. That is, find votes that are there that haven't been counted, perfectly lawful request. Or find could mean invent. 
um, the more likely, more logical meaning is find means discover. That's what it means to find something, something that's there. It doesn't mean to create something that isn't there. But the idea of indicting somebody based on an ambiguous statement like that would never survive uh, due process. You can't leave an issue like that to the jury. In criminal cases, there has to be proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And all doubts have to be resolved in favor of the defendant. And there's a principle called lenity. When you have two possible interpretations, you interpret consistent with the defendant's rights, not the rights of or the power of the government. So I cannot imagine a successful prosecution based on that phone call, unless there are other phone calls that we're not aware of, um, which were not taped, and which therefore can be uh, testified to in ways that um, may or may not be truthful, and it may create a credibility issues. So we don't know the answers to those questions. So, you know, the two big items today in the news are really three, three people. Um, uh, Donald Trump, will he be indicted? Won't he be indicted? Uh, Joe Biden, will he be able to stand up uh, strongly enough? And Putin, um, these three people, all three of them in many ways bigger, bigger than life. Um, two of them very different from the third. Biden is a very different person than either uh, Trump or, or Putin. Trump and Putin are, are really bigger than life, and they, they are big personalities with big feelings and, 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 and people who like to make decisions on their own uh, instinctively. Sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. Putin's decision has obviously backfired. Um, it may mean the end of his uh, regime. There are no elections, obviously, in, in Russia, but um, you know, there are ways in which people at the very top in the Kremlin can change leadership. That's happened many times in my lifetime uh, under the Soviet Union um, from Khrushchev. I mean, I was alive when Stalin was alive, and then Khrushchev and all the guys between Khrushchev and, and, and Gorbachev uh, were people who were placed in power by the powers that be in the Kremlin. And that those powers still exist. And there are also now the additional uh, powers of oligarchs, the, the billionaires uh, uh, who have uh, influence on the Kremlin as well. So, you know, we live in tense times. This is a very, very troubling period. We don't know how it's going to come out. And I can tell you as an American, and I hope this is something that all of you can share with me. I hope all of you agree with this that we all hope and pray that our president, we only have one president, the president of the United States, Joe Biden, we hope and pray he is strong enough and tough enough and malleable and responsive enough to handle this situation with the Kremlin and with Putin, with wisdom, with intelligence, with foresight, and with the best interests of the United States at heart. Anybody who does not wish uh, Joe Biden well on that. Anybody who says, well, I hope he fails because maybe that'll help the other side get elected. That's just not the right approach. That's just not America. Uh, in America, we support our president when there is a crisis like this. We can vote against him. We can campaign against him. We can contribute against him, but we will not undercut him. We want him to be strong. We want him to be able to preserve the best interests of the United States. So I hope you'll all join me in, in hoping that Joe Biden is the man for the job and can get it done. And then you vote for who 
whoever you want to vote for, once this is done and once we are over this uh, crisis, the crisis might continue during the election and then you have a chance to vote for whoever you think will handle the crisis best. But that's what democracy is all about. But between elections, patriotic Americans support the American military uh, and support the American government. Um, you know, you say, what is the American government? The House is on one side, the Senate is on the other. But I think all of us are united behind the hope that we can stand up effectively in the war in Ukraine fairly and, and, and prevent it from escalating and threatening the interest and safety of Americans and our allies abroad. So that's a hope that I, I expect most of you will share. So let's go to some letters. Um, first one, an attack on Joe Biden. Joe Biden has brought this country together. Seriously, you ought to broaden your horizons, Professor. We are as polarized as ever. I don't disagree. Um, what I said is I think Joe Biden has tried to bring this country together by lowering the rhetoric, by uh, eliminating the name calling, by trying to reach out to people on the other side. And he certainly did it during the State of the Union message. Not completely, but he did it. And um, I think his effort has been to bring people together. Has he succeeded? I don't, I don't think so. Um, America is as polarized and divided as ever, and that makes us weaker than ever. A divided America is a weak America. A united America is a strong America. Okay, I'm a law school dropout. Thanks for continuing my education and analytic thinking about the law. Question, what are the liability issues with self-driving cars? That's a very interesting issue. And generally, the manufacturer of the car is uh, responsible, obviously, for the mechanisms. But right now, we don't have self-driving cars. We have cars that must have a driver in it to drive on public roads. Um, and the driver is still responsible. The driver still has control over the car. Look, there are self-flying planes. Obviously, they're called drones, and uh, they're increasing in frequency and in importance, both militarily and in civilian life. And eventually, we may see completely self-flying planes, completely self-driving uh, cars. I actually think we're going to see self-flying planes before we see, and we already do because we already have drones all over because the highways are crowded and there are risks, obviously, of accidents. But uh, in terms of liability, the liability is shared between the car manufacturer and the driver itself. There may be some time in the future when that's uh, change, uh, changes. But uh, right now, um, uh, I think uh, cars are responsible. Elon Musk and his company have been responsible for a couple of accidents of course you know horses and buggies had accidents and cars have accidents and bicycles have accidents i know i was nearly hit by one not so long ago in new york city so there's no such thing as a risk-free uh as risk-free life and the question is how the law deals with and balances life and uh, my other book that is coming out soon called uh, uh, uh killing uh, how the law deals with um choosing between living and dying I deal with those issues quite extensively in that book. Okay. Um, nice letter. Your counsel has been sought by many great people, which must be very satisfying, Professor. Happy President's Day. Yeah, it is It is gratifying. Um, I've had people call on me for advice from both sides of the political spectrum. Obviously, I uh, advise President Clinton 
on his impeachment, and I advise President Trump on his impeachment. Uh, and if President Biden were to be impeached, and if he asked me, I'd advise him on his impeachment. So far, I've never seen an impeachment that was constitutionally valid. And I believe in the Constitution above uh, parties and above particular presidents. So um, I will continue to offer my advice. I'm now deeply involved in advising uh, both sides of the dispute in Israel about so-called judicial reform. And I've offered um, my counsel uh, and my efforts to try to mediate, or I've written a series of articles, one coming out tomorrow. I had one last week in the Jerusalem Post. I've spoken to virtually all the people on both sides of the issue. So um, I enjoy um, my role as giving counsel um, to all sides of political issues. And usually my counsel is on the side of the constitution and the rule of law. I just got my fifth booster vax and happy for it. I can, hear Bill, I can hear Bill Gates inside my head for some reason, but I'll get used to it. I feel privileged to be able to interact with someone who has known so many interesting people and, of course, who is himself an interesting person. Well, thank you. And um, thank you for taking the vaccine, because I think taking a vaccine is not only an act of self-preservation, but it's an act that helps other people as well. Not taking the vaccine if the vaccine just involved yourself, that would be an act that you would have a right not to take. But to the extent the vaccine does, and you know, the evidence is not so clear on this, but the evidence is fairly clear that if everybody is vaccinated, the ability to spread the vaccine diminishes. So uh, vaccination does have a public health interest as well as a private health uh, interest. Um, so we talked about presidents and I got a number of letters, uh, you know, supporting this president, supporting that president, a number of nice uh, letters about President Carter, obviously, uh, who is uh, entering the last phases of his life. And then only one president fell up the steps. Well, you remember that very well. It was uh, President Ford. The interesting thing is Ford was probably the most athletic president in modern history. Um, uh, he played uh, football. Uh, he was a great athlete um, and a terrific guy, really wonderful, wonderful man. Um, and yeah, uh, he tripped on the steps once. And that, because of Saturday Night Live, I guess, made him into the clumsy president. He was not a clumsy president. He was a, a, a very athletic and, um, and uh, very together uh, president. Great sense of humor. Um, I think I mentioned this the other day. But uh, he said the two most important things that he did when he was president was to pardon Nixon and to appoint John Paul Stevens to the United States Supreme Court. John Paul Stevens, who turned out to be um, more liberal than than he was, um, but a great, great justice. So uh, I'm a big President Ford fan. I think he goes down in history for a very, very short presidency as having really helped the country recover from the nightmare of uh, the removal of, of President Clinton, of President uh, uh, Nixon from, from office. Th those were the worst times. Uh, I know I was, I was very much involved uh, in, in Washington politics in those days. And I remember so many others do watching and seeing uh, President Nixon announce his resignation and then get on the plane and do that uh, V symbol and go off to history. Okay. Uh, I like and respect you, but you're wrong on so many things. Hey, I like that. Good, good. Correct me when I'm wrong, but respect me. I mean, too many of my old friends uh, no longer respect me. They should never respect me if they don't respect me now because I haven't changed. I haven't done anything 
you know, they respected me when I defended mass murderers. They defended me when I defended, uh, you know, horrible, horrible people. But suddenly they can't uh, in any way support me or admire me because I defended President Trump. Uh, that just doesn't understand who I am. I often wonder what they would have felt about John Adams. I'm not comparing myself to John Adams. I'm actually a better lawyer than he was, but he was a, a much better uh, public figure and a great man and a great American. Um, but when you go back and read the transcript of the Boston Massacre trial, it leaves something to be to be something desired, to be desired, but by today's standards. But he got an acquittal for it, uh, a couple of the people and uh, reduced charges for others. And the main thing is the courage he showed, the courage he showed. I just today bought a pamphlet from 1823. I collect this kind of stuff. I bought a pamphlet from 1823 involving two great uh, uh, lawyers, white lawyers, who defended three black young men on charges of murder and in the South, and um, they were held in contempt uh, by the judge for, for merely defending um, African-American kids. And uh, the pamphlet is um, a description of the trial of the lawyers. Um, and I bought it because it's what's happening today. Today, anybody who had anything to do with defending Trump is himself or herself on trial. And um, once you start going after lawyers that way, that really marks the end of our, our legal system. And I hope that the powers that be will think better of going after lawyers. Um, last letter. I disagree uh, that mail-in voting uh, provides a fair and square election, et cetera, et cetera. Let, you know, I have my questions. I have my doubts. Um, as I think you've heard me say, I really would like to see the day when people go back to vote secretly in booths. Uh, I am suspicious of machines. Um, I don't know much about machines, but I know that machines are capable of being hacked. I'm, I'm a little suspicious of mail-in ballots um, because people can influence uh, others. Um, I'm involved in a couple of challenges. Um, two particular uh, uses of uh, voting uh, that are not traditional voting, and I'm kind of a traditionalist when it comes to voting. So, uh, but that's something that has to be decided by the courts, has to be decided by the legislature. But my own view is that um, there's something to be said for everybody going to the polls, um, making sure that they're open late and that nobody is discriminated against and that voting is easy and that there are polls, equal number of polls in different neighborhoods. But um, that to me is the America I love, uh, people going and just pulling that thing down and voting or writing in down there secretly in the little booth. And uh, I hope we someday get back to that. So see you tomorrow.